Welcome back, we are doing Sefer Zemanim of Mishneh Torah, Hilchot Shabbat, Perek Shishi, the sixth chapter. The top, topic of the chapter is Amira Lagoi. What can a Jew tell a non-Jew to do on Shabbat on the Jew's behalf? And if a non-Jew did something sua sponte, in other words, by his own or her own initiative, can the Jew enjoy derived benefit from it? Halacha Aleph. אסור לומר לגוי לעשות לנו מלאכה בשבת, אף על פי שאינו מסובע לשבת, ואף על פי שאמר לו מקודם השבת, ואף על פי שאינו צריך לאותה מלאכה אלא לאחר השבת. Let's be careful with terminology here, and this is going to become very, very clear in a few halachot. We are talking about מלאכה. מלאכה is one of the 39 categories of things that are forbidden scripturally, מן התורה. for which one will be Hayav Hatat or Sekila slash Karet. We are not talking about things that are forbidden with Rabbanan. It's forbidden to tell a Goy to do for us a Melacha on Shabbat, even though it's true that the Goy himself or herself does not have any Misvah to keep Shabbat. And even if this prescription to command to the Goy was given, this uh, ordinance to the Goy was given from before Shabbat, and even... If this task, this melacha, this transformation is only going to be used after Shabbat. So I cannot tell a goy on Friday, look buddy, during Shabbat, I want you to come and water my garden. And that's something that I'm going to drive a benefit from after Shabbat. Or I want you to make a pizza for me so I eat it after Shabbat. That's forbidden. This is a rabbinic Prohibition. The objective of which is to not make Shabbat be not as serious in our eyes. Because after a certain while, if we start doing everything through Goim, then uh, the, the, the jump to starting violating Shabbat ourselves is not that huge. גוי שעשה מלאכה מעצמו בשבת, אם בשביל ישראל עשה אותה, אסור ליהנות באותה מלאכה על מושאי שבת. Now what happens if the goy does something on Shabbat, whether he was or she was prescribed or not? So let's try to categorize things and have a very clear framework. Number one, הלכה א' dealt with what are we allowed to, to tell a goy to do for us. And that is one category. We are not allowed to ask a goy to do anything on Shabbat that is a melacha, whether we tell them before Shabbat and whether we need it on Shabbat doesn't matter. We are not allowed to. That's a gezerah, one gezerah. Gezerah number two, it's after the fact. After a goy does something for us, it doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter if we told him, we didn't tell him. It doesn't matter. But if the goy does something, bishvil Israel, specifically for a Jew, Second prohibition, it's forbidden to derive a benefit from this transformation until after Shabbat. And it needs to be after Shabbat, having passed enough time so that that transformation could have taken place after Shabbat. And this is assuming that this was not done very publicly, very openly. 
to the point that people start knowing that this certain thing was done for this particular Jew on Shabbat. The English will ask mobile, in other words, if the Goy does something without anyone asking for a Jew on Shabbat, but everyone knows that this Goy is doing it for this Jew and this is done by Farhesia openly, then maybe, and I will, as we will see later, maybe it's not permissible to derive a benefit from it even after Shabbat, even after enough time has passed. However, if the Goy does this melacha for himself, then it's permissible to derive a benefit on Shabbat. Now, examples on this second Gezerah. The first Gezerah is very simple. You're just not allowed to prescribe a goy to do anything that is a melacha on Shabbat for you. And Harambam was very precise. La'asot lanu melacha b'shabbat is to do a melacha for our sake. Is that forbidden to tell a goy? It's not necessarily forbidden. It may be or it may not, but not from this halacha to tell a goy to do a melacha for somebody else that is not Jewish. Like maybe you can tell a goy, I want you to go and um, buy yourself a nice suit during Shabbat, even though that's not a melacha or I don't know. Um, Water your own garden during Shabbat. Some examples. How so? If a goy lights a lamp, it's permissible to use to derive benefit from that light on Shabbat for a Jew. However, if he did it for the sole purpose of benefiting the Jew, it's forbidden. If he makes a ramp to to um, to uh, what do you call it to get off a ship to depart a ship during Shabbat, and then he proceeds and uses that that uh, ramp to to get off. Uh, then afterwards, the Yehudi can come and use that same ramp. The Yehudi, then it's forbidden. If he uh, puts water, and these two examples that are coming up, right now have a certain caveat, so just hold that thought. If the goy takes from Rashut Ayahid a well in Rashut Arabim, a well in the middle of the street, the well itself has the status of Rashut Ayahid of a private domain, and the outside, the surrounding, the street around it, is Rashut Arabim. And to transport something from Rashut Yahid to Rashut Arabim, or vice versa, is a melacha. So the goy did that and filled up water for his animals. Israel. Then if there is any water left, the Jew can come with his cow, his horse, or whatever, and drink, have them drink from that water. Likewise, if he gathered, if he cut off herbs, also to feed his own animal, then the Jew can come after and let his own animal eat from those herbs as well. But with respect to these last two examples, that this Goy does not know, does not recognize this particular Jew. They don't know each other. He's just doing it really for himself. 
שמי הרבה ממלאכתו בשבילו ולמצוא עושה בשביל ישראל, because otherwise if the guy, let's say, is the Jew's neighbor, or he works for the Jew, or the Jew works for him, then maybe the guy is trying to actually do a favor to the Jew, which follows that the melacha of whatever it is that was left over after. So let's say the guy only needed 10 gallons for his uh, camel, but then he went and drew 20 gallons because he wanted to leave 10 more for the Jew. So those other 20 gallons are for the Jew, and therefore it's forbidden to derive a benefit from it. So too, everything that has the, the, it's capable of being done in small quantities or big quantities, the only possibility for a Jew to derive a benefit from it, if a goy has done it for himself, is if that goy is not his acquaintance. However, things that are not capable of doing little or a lot in terms of quantity, it's the same quantity whether one person is using it or many, like the examples of a lamp lighting light, you light one candle or one lamp, one person can use it, two people can use it, doesn't matter, or the kevesh, the ramp, same thing, the guy is not making the ramp any differently because he thinks that the Jew is coming behind him. Therefore, if he does it for himself, the guy, the Jew can come and derive a benefit from it on Shabbat, even though they are acquainted. If there is a lamp that's already lit, you don't know who lit it and for what, in the middle of a gathering on Shabbat, in Rav Israel, if the majority of those gathered are Jewish, it's forbidden to derive a benefit from that light because you assume that it, that it was done for the majority of those present, which are Jewish. If the majority are non-Jews, then it's permissible to derive a benefit from that light. If, if it's exactly 50%, 50%, it also is forbidden. Now, an exception to everything that we are saying, this is the leka. The leka has a few exceptional rules. The leka is a fire. So let's say there is a fire on Shabbat, and then a goy comes and wants to put it off, put off the fire, which is a melacha. Then we don't have to stop him. If he comes and wants to do it by himself, we have no obligation to stop him from doing something that we are going to benefit from, namely putting the fire away. Because after all, we are not responsible to making the goyim refrain from melacha on Shabbat. We just don't want to tell them to do something for us. That is number one. And number two, we should also not derive a benefit from something that they have done. Now, if you think about this, we are trying, starting to find distinction. There is a few things that by the, their nature, you can actively derive a benefit from them. And a few things that you cannot actively derive a benefit from them. So for example, let's say a goy, Let's assume for a second that lighting an air conditioner on Shabbat is a melacha, and that the goy comes to the room and lights an air conditioner for us, for Jews. Then, yes, it's forbidden to derive an active benefit from it, but what does that mean? 
Does that mean that I should not go next to the air conditioner and open my nostrils as big as I can and try to bring in as much fresh air as I can? Maybe, but just staying in the room and not altering my behavior in any way seems more like being in the house that ended up not being burned because the goy went ahead and put the fire off. A Jewish departed, the dead body for whom Goim made a, a coffin on Shabbat, or they dug a grave for him, or they brought some sort of musical instruments that they used to use back then in order to, to have a funeral procession in very sad tombs. In Besin if this was done not publicly, so let's say the, the Goy employee of the person who died out of wanting to honor his, his uh, boss, he brings all of these things without anyone else knowing about this. So this was Betzin I, it wasn't publicly and openly. Then these things can be used after Mosai Shabbat, after enough time has passed for these things to have been done after Shabbat. And then the Jewish body can be buried using these things. However, if the, the tomb was going to be in a very public area, and then the Goy came and put the coffin right there, prepared, set everything up very publicly in, in the main street. Seratia, by the way, is the same shorish as the word street in English. It means street, literally. And everyone who is coming, passing and going, can tell right away that this which the Goim have prepared on Shabbat is for this particular person who passed away. Then it's forbidden to use this grave or this coffin or these things for this particular Jew forever because this was done for him in public, as we said before. Some things that are done in public, even though the person didn't ask for them, cannot be used ever. However, it's permissible to use for another Jew, not the one for whom this was done. Having waited enough time after this could have been done after Shabbat, so to any example that looks like this. So let's say a goy brought Betzina, not Befarhesia, he brought this halilin, these uh, flutes to musical instruments to play during the during the funeral procession for this particular person who died. And you know that this goy lives right next to the city. So really, it would have taken him two minutes to go from outside the city to where you are. Do you have to wait two minutes after Shabbat? No, actually, we require you to wait until the nearest neighborhood um, because we we suspect that maybe although the goy lives right next to the city maybe this was brought to him from somewhere else from the closest neighborhood and then he proceeded to bring it into the city <laughs> 
However, if you know for a fact where this was brought from, then you can have a more definite time that you have to wait after Shabbat. This is all talking in a case when this is not done in a very public way like we just explained. A city that is mixed, it has Jews and non-Jews, and in the middle of a city there is a public bathhouse that is being heated, people are lighting fire for it on Shabbat. If the majority are, are non-Jews in that city, then it's permissible to use that bathhouse immediately after Mosai Shabbat Miyad, immediately after Shabbat ends. But if the majority are Jews, then it follows that we assume that this bathhouse was the milachot that were done to heat this water, were done for the sake of these Jews, and therefore, we have to wait enough time so that the water could have been heated if you had started after Shabbat. Likewise, if it's half and half, we have the same assumption, the same presumption that it was done for the Jews, and so to any example that looks like this one. A Jew that asked a non-Jew to do a certain melacha for him on Shabbat. Although this person transgressed a rabbinical prescription and he's subject to a discretionary punishment by the Bedin, it's permissible to derive a benefit from that melacha right away at night after he's waited enough time for this melacha to have been done, the same result as if the Yehudi had not said anything and the Goy had just done it by himself for the Yehudi. And this is the reason why Hachamim are requiring for us to wait enough time for the Melacha to be done after Shabbat. Uh, it's for the following reason. Because if you were to permit the Jew to derive a benefit from that Melacha right away, you are creating an incentive for the Jew to actually ask the Goy to do something for him on Shabbat because he, he'll be able to derive, derive a benefit from it right after Mosai Shabbat. And he'll find it ready right after Shabbat. But now that Hachamim forbade to derive any benefit until enough time has passed, then they are removing that incentive because it's the same for me if I ask the Goy at 3 o'clock while it's still Shabbat to go and prepare a hot tub for me, than if I ask him right after Shabbat when it's permissible, because I'll still have to wait the, the, the same amount of time. Now this makes it so clear. So what is Melacha? Melacha is the Oraita. Now, something that is not melacha, in other words, not midoraita. 
ואין אסור לעשותו בשבת אלא משום שבות. And the only reason it's forbidden to do that thing on Shabbat is because of Shavuot. Shavuot is the general principle that, as we're going to see in later chapters, it's Perakim Kaf Aleph Kaf Bet Kaf Gimal, 21-23. We are going to see that the Torah said Tishbot, the Torah said that these Melachot were forbidden so that we refrain from doing any transformation. So Chachamim understood from the word Tishbot They understood that they have a mandate. They have the, the, it's desirable if they go ahead and they also go and forbid other things that were not forbidden by the Torah. Not Minat Torah, they forbid them as something that are banan to be consistent with Shevita. All of those things are called Shevut. So, mutar Israel lomar lagoy Shabbat. Pay attention, we are talking about the first Gezira. The first Gezira is what are we allowed to say to a Goy? What are we not allowed to say to a goy? Okay, so we said that it's forbidden to tell a goy, whether before Shabbat or during Shabbat, to do a melacha for us. Number one. So what if it's not a melacha? What if it's something that a banan? What if it's, for example, to warm up food that is already cooked? Warming up food that is already cooked is the rabbanan. Warming up food that is not cooked is the oraita, as we are going to see. So something that is Shavuot is permitted for a Jew to tell a Goy to do so on Shabbat with certain, within certain parameters. So long as there is a certain aspect, whatever aspect of some medical need, or if this is very necessary at that moment. So for example, in my example of, of warming up food that is already ready to eat, Uh, you need this food to eat for Shabbat, that might be Tzorech Kadol, or in order to fulfill a misvah, and some examples are being brought right away. Kesad, how so? Al-Hayod. Omed Yisrael l'goi la'alot ba'ilan b'Shabbat, o l'ashut al p'nei ha'mayim k'de l'avi lo shofar o sakin l'amila. It's permissible for a Jew to tell a goi during Shabbat to climb a tree, climbing a tree is only forbidden mid'rabanan, o l'ashut al p'nei ha'mayim, or to, to swim, or to go on a raft on Shabbat, which is also a surmi de Rabbanan. In Perekav Kiman Al-Hahe, we'll learn that. In order to bring shofar o sakin lamila, to bring the, the, the shofar. Shofar, by the way, this is not nowadays when we do not blow the shofar on Shabbat, but back in the times when they had A, a certain fixed bed din in the city, as we are going to see in the Chot Shofar, you do blow the Shofar on Shabbat, or to bring Sakin Lamila, this is more relevant to us, to bring a knife to do Brit Mila. So you can ask a Goy to transgress Shevut in order to do something that you need for a Mitzvah. Likewise, to bring it through an area that is only Karmelit, or a Haser. Haser is, uh, is, is the, the, the courtyard that is shared by more than one house and Chachamim forbade to carry within it or from the house to that courtyard without doing Ayruve Haserot which is the topic of the next the next Halachot uh, after Shabbat Likewise you can ask the Goy to bring warm water or hot water in order to um, to wash the, the body of a little one 
So this, just by being a very small child, this implicates miksat holit seems from the salacha, or mistair, or even someone who is is not feeling great. He's not sick, but he's not feeling great. So that's enough to have miksat holi. Vechen kol and so to other examples that look like this. Halacha yud aleph. Some exceptions now to everything we said so far. Before we proceed, I just want to point out, we have not yet found any prohibition. I'm not saying it's permitted, but I just want to point out, we have not yet found any prohibition to derive a benefit from, for, from something that a goy did for a Jew on Shabbat without being asked if that something is Shavut and not a Melacha. Okay, so we started the chapter by explaining there is two gezerot here, one to actually prescribe the goy to do something for us, and number two, regardless of who told the goy to do what, to derive a benefit from it. We said at the outset, not neither of these gezerot applies to things that are not a melacha, that are not something the oraita proper. And now we just define yod, what are the parameters for something to be permissible to tell a goy to do for us on Shabbat if it's not a melacha? And we need to have one of three conditions, mixat holi, or harbe, or devar misva. We do not have these parameters for deriving a benefit from something that a goy did. In other words, if the goy went ahead and brought, not a shofar, but let's say brought a, a book that I wanted to read for whatever reason, brought my... Uh, Reading books that are not Torah is also a problem on Shabbat, as we're going to see. But let me give another example. So, a goy brought, I don't know, my suit. I forgot my suit on the other, on the in the other house, and there is a haser between us. There is no aruve haserot. The goy went without me asking anything and brought that suit for me. It seems to me that I'd be allowed to use that suit on Shabbat, given that it doesn't fall within the gezerah that only applies to melacha. The goy only transgressed something that was shavut, and therefore it's not within the gezerah. And also, it's not within the first gezerah, which is amira, which has the parameters of needing to have mixat holi or sore harbe or devar misva. So this is my reading of this, but I leave it to you to interpret however you want. Now, some exceptions to amira legoy. Halokeh bait beres Israel. If someone is buying some land. Real estate in Eretz Israel, it's permissible to ask a goy to actually draft a contract and sign a contract on Shabbat, to sign a deed on Shabbat. Because this is only something that Hachamim forbade. It wasn't forbidden before Hachamim came and forbade it. And Hachamim have the right to carve out whatever exception they want on something that they themselves legislated. So they said it's forbidden to tell the Goy. And then they also said, however, if you are doing this in order to acquire land, real estate in Edes Israel, we are not going to forbid you. We are interested in your acquiring land in Edes Israel. It's a good thing for Jews to have real estate in Edes Israel. Not only Edes Israel proper, but also Syria. Syria is, most of modern day Syria is uh, if there is such a country anymore, but that area, the Levant, um, it's uh, it's an area that was conquered by David HaMelech, and for some things it's considered part of Israel. They say that the Jews who lived in Syria, the communities that developed in Syria, 
they went to live there because they knew that it had a little bit at least of the Kedushah of Eretz Yisrael, and in some areas like Damasek, the Sham, like they call, they call it Sham because it was there, this, this was the area that they knew it was actually part of Eretz Yisrael. The area of Damascus is actually part of what the 12 tribes had been given when you added two and a half tribes who got some of the area of the Emori and, and the Bashan uh, with Moshe Rabbeinu. So even in Syria, it's permissible to have a goy to assign real estate to you in writing on Shabbat. Now, a different subject. Let's say I'm not telling the Goy to do anything for me, or rather, I am telling the Goy what to do for me, but I'm not telling him when. That's the key here. I'm not telling him when, I just want the result. I don't care when you do it. You do it Friday, you do it Mosai Shabbat. It's your time. I just want this done. If you want to do it on Shabbat, then that's your choice. I'm not going to tell you not to do something on Shabbat, but that you're doing it for yourself, not for me. So posek adamim goi ala melacha, it's permissible to agree with the goi on a result, the koses damim, for a specified amount of money for that result. And then the goi does it whenever he wants. Even if the goi ends up doing it on Shabbat, that's permissible. This line is going to lead to all the halachot that are that are following. So uh, remember this principle. So too, it's permissible to hire a, a non-Jewish employee for several days or for several months. Just like uh, uh, hiring him for a certain result, uh, even though the guy ends up doing something on Shabbat, kesad. For example, if you pay, if you enter into a contract with a goy, and the contract stipulates for one or for two years, I'm hiring you for the period of one or two years for you to be a full-time employee for me and do and write uh, and copy all my Sifre Torah three times over. Actually, that's a bad example because if a goy writes a Sifre Torah, pasul, copy all of my non sacred writings. Then the Goy can go ahead and do so on Shabbat. That's permissible because he's doing so whenever he wants. Because the Goy is really choosing when to do this. He has control over his time. So long as the contract does not stipulate that the goy will work 365 days a year, which includes Shabbat. So if it's generically for a year, for two years, that's fine. When are we saying this? When all of this is being done privately? Because not everyone who passes by will know that this melacha is being done for this particular Jew. But if, if this is done publicly, and the classic example of that, I think, in our modern days, is relevant to me personally. My front yard, I cannot ask a goy to come and water my front yard and, and pay him by the year if he's going to come and do it on Shabbat. 
ואומר שפלוני שכר הגוי לעשות לו בשבת, because even though it should be permissible, those who are passing by and see my gardener doing my front yard on Shabbat, they are going to assume that I entered into this agreement with him, particularly with respect to Shabbat, and that's forbidden. Therefore, anyone who agrees with a goy to build him a courtyard or to erect a wall for him or to harvest his field, or if he hires him for one or two years to, to build him a courtyard or to plant a vineyard for him, if this is being done within the city or within the area of the city, then the Jew has an affirmative responsibility to stop the Goy from doing so on Shabbat because of those that are going to see this. As they are not going to know that this was done in the permissible way. But if this is done in the rural areas outside the, the outskirts of the city, then it's permissible because we don't have a significant contingent of Jews that are going to see this being done on Shabbat. Likewise, we don't forbid, it's permissible to rent your house or, or your vineyard or your field to the Goy, even though the Goy goes ahead and works it on Shabbat, because everyone who passes by knows that the Goy is doing this for himself. However, something that has a very uh, strong reputation that it belongs to the particular Jew. So let's say this is called the field of uh, Abraham ben Itzhak. And everyone knows that this is the field of Abraham ben Itzhak. That's how everyone knows it. It's, it's, uh, it's known that Abraham ben Itzhak every so often brings people to work there. And if a goy goes and rents it out, everyone is going to assume that this is being worked for Abraham ben Itzhak then it's forbidden to rent it to the Goy because when the Goy works the land on Shabbat, people are going to think he's doing it for the Jew who owns it. It's permissible to rent objects to a goy, even though he's going to use them on Shabbat, you can rent your tractor to the goy from Friday afternoon until Sunday morning. You can do so, even though he's going to use it on Shabbat, because the kelim, the objects, are not within our prescription of, of doing Shabbat. However, living things, animals and servants, is forbidden because they are within what we are supposed to give Shabbat to. One of the points of Shabbat and this is in Aseret HaDevarim, is Leman Yanuah. One of the purposes of Shabbat is, or one of the benefits of Shabbat is for our animals and our servants to also have a day of rest, and you are depriving them of that by renting them out and making them work for somebody else. Look at how advanced our Torah was, how it cared for animals, animal rights, servants, when of course nobody else did in the world, and how Hachamim were so careful to 
forbid something that they knew might be used as a loophole to deprive the animals and the servants from that rest. This is very relevant for today, but it's a, a little bit complex, so I, I suggest not to just take this uh, straight up and, and really try to analyze each situation by itself. If a person has some kind of a partnership with a non-Jew, is in commerce with, with respect to merchandise or Hanut, or a brick and mortar store, if at the beginning of the partnership they agreed that all the profits, all the all the gains and losses with respect to Shabbat are going to be allocated to the Goy, and then they agreed that all the gains and losses with respect to, let's say, Sunday, are going to be allocated to the Israel, the Jew, and all the other five days are half-half. That's fine. That's perfectly fine. That's a good kind of partnership. And this has to be done at the outset. But if this was not conditioned at the outset, the time, at the time they, that they come to allocate gains and losses, then the goy will actually get a, a windfall here he's going to get the entirety of all the gains and losses with respect to shabbat for him alone as if the jew didn't own it and then they split the other six days half and half it's forbidden for the jew to try to take any more than half of everything else because of the shabbat unless this was a condition at the outset Likewise, if this is with the field that they are holding in partnership. Let's say that they did not condition, and now they, are, they want to divide their derivatives, their, 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 sorry, their dividends, and they don't know how much belongs to Shabbat. Rambam uses his very famous phrase, in other words, the Gemara does not discuss it, but Rambam thinks that this is what Hadin Note, this is what the law should be like, and he's inviting us to disagree in a way, at your own risk, of course. So the Rambam thinks that the Goy should take one-seventh of all the prophets, and then the rest you divide half and half. You assume that Shabbat was exactly one-seventh. An investor that invests money with a goy so that the goy uses that money to create profits for both. Even if the goy is transacting with that capital on Shabbat, it's permissible to divvy up the proceeds equally. And this too is what all the Geonim agreed on. And this probably is the most relevant to today when someone invests in the stock market. Um, from uh, my opinion, as a lawyer who practiced capital markets for a couple of years, and I still deal with securities, in, in today's stock market, when you 
give money to a company for the most part, unless you're buying a significant enough share, functionally, you are not really a partner, although you may have a very de minimis voting share, but you're not really a partner. You're really a provider of capital. And I think that this is more akin to the latter example of someone who is providing money to this company to put it to work, which means that you can derive benefits from what uh, comes to you, even though some of the operations were done on Shabbat. Now, something specific, another exception. If, uh, you should not give to a an artisan, and, and this might be a tailor, might be a, a dry cleaner, um, garments before Shabbat so that he makes them. Unless, so the way they used to do it back in the day is the goy would come to your house, you had your clothing there, he'd measure you, and then he'd take the clothing with him after having measured you to his shop and then returned it to you. So you have to make sure that the goy has enough time to leave your house before Shabbat begins. Likewise, you should not give anything to the goy, not a gift, not, not a, a, a loan, not something like a, a, a collateral for a loan uh, for him to take from your house unless he has enough time to leave your house before Shabbat. Because for anyone who is seeing this, if they see the goy coming out from your house on Shabbat, you have no way of knowing when you actually gave it to them and they might think you actually did so on Shabbat, which is forbidden. Halakha Chaf has to do with mail, also very relevant to us. Hanoteni geret lagoy lo giving mail to the non-Jewish mailman to take to another city, which involves obviously many melachot. Him kasas aymosh sechar holacha mutar, if there is a specific set rate for that delivery, like we have today, which is the, the, the cost of the stamp, it's permissible. Even if if uh, if uh, you give this letter to the goy right before Shabbat begins, so long as the goy leaves your home before Shabbat. However, if the goy doesn't have a set rate, rather after delivery, he goes to the other guy and says, "Is how much it's going to cost you to receive this." If this is someone who is the, the, the fixed person, the, the, the designated person to deliver mail, like an official mailman to the city, it's permissible to give to the Goy this letter. With one slight difference, Provided that the goy has enough time to give it to 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 deliver it to the next person who takes it outside the city before Shabbat, so 
there needs to be enough time to leave not only your house, but also the city in this second example. Because the person who is the designated mailman of the city, maybe he lives in the far, far furthermost house of, of the city. So let me just explain this a little confusing. We are talking about two people here. So I hire a particular guy, my secretary, and I tell him, go and deliver this letter to my friend in the city that is uh, three days away from this one. And I'm going to pay you whatever it costs you. And then I know that he's going to delegate. He's not going to do this himself. He's going to give it to the official mailman. Now, the official mailman doesn't collect letters from everyone. He just takes it from one city to the next. So, so long as, as soon as the official mailman takes it, this becomes like the example of a fixed rate, which becomes permissible. But I don't know when the official mailman is going to take it. So I have to assume that the official mailman is maybe in the farthest house from mine, which means my personal messenger needs to have enough time to get to that house. However, if there is no official mailman, but rather the person who receives the letter from me is the one who is going to take it to the next city, then it's forbidden to uh, send it with this messenger before Shabbat, even though I send him way before Shabbat, unless I agree on a set rate from beforehand, because otherwise, the moment he arrives, he's also charging for whatever he did during Shabbat. If a goy wants to bring his objects on Shabbat, bring them into the house of a Jew, that's permissible. We have no obligation to stop him from doing things which are forbidden to us and not forbidden to him. It's even permissible to say, hey, you know what, can you please put it, put all of your stuff in that corner? That's also permissible. It's also permitted to have a guest goy on Shabbat. It's permissible to set food for them. And if the goy decides to take this food, and take it away from the house of the Jew on Shabbat. And it's kakinlo. Also, there is nothing wrong with that. You can invite your non-Jewish friend to come to dinner with you, and you can offer him to take leftovers if he wants. Don't explicitly say, go and take them with you for Shabbat. But if he wants to take it from your house on Shabbat, that's fine none of our business, and he's totally permitted to do Likewise also, although for our animals, we are supposed to not work them on Shabbat, but that doesn't mean that some of the other tasks which are forbidden to human beings are forbidden to the animals if the animal is doing it for itself. So if the dog, if you give food to the dog, give a steak to your dog, and the dog drags it to outside your house, there you have right there a melacha. That's fine. The, the dog is doing it for itself. It's not the same as making your cow work for you on your field, which is forbidden. Halacha kafbet, this 
almost almost happened to me this this Shabbat. Actually, it, it kind of happened to me. If someone is on the way and Shabbat entered on that person, and he had with him some amount of money, then he's allowed to give his wallet with the money to a goy to take it to his house on Shabbat. And Mosai Shabbat, he goes and picks it up from the Goy. So this is clearly against our very first halacha of this chapter, when it's forbidden to tell the Goy to do a melacha for us. This is a melacha, clearly, to carry something, as we're going to see in the next chapters. And you're asking Goy to do it for you. It should be forbidden, but Hachamim permitted it. Even though you did not set up a set rate for this, if you had set up a set rate for it, then this also might be permissible for another reason. And even if you give this to the Goy after Shabbat has begun, mutar, it's permissible to do so. Because a person is very sensitive when it comes to his own pockets, it's not possible, it's not psychologically possible for people to be expected to just give up their money that they are bringing, their, let's say their salary, their paycheck from, from work, that they got delayed and Shabbat began. We cannot expect from them to, to just give away that money just like that. And if Chachamim were not so open-minded to permit this to be done through a goy, which is something Chachamim themselves forbade, it's very likely the Jew is going, is going to choose his money over Shabbat and bring that money on his own. And that would be a transgression of a biblical prescription, which is much worse than, some, than something Hachamim themselves have the power to suspend. When are we saying this? When it's your own possession, something that you already owned, you had already earned. But if you find something, let's say you're walking on the street and you find a $100 bill, you're not allowed to tell a guy, hey, uh, I just found this, this is mine, please take it to my house, put it in my, mail- my mailbox, and or take it to your house and I'll come pick it up on Shabbat and then I'll pay you half of it. It's forbidden to do so. Rather, there is another thing which is not even as forbidden as giving it to a goy, but something that is actually permissible to do on Shabbat. It's permissible to carry something within the Shutarabim little by little. So, so long as you walk less than four amot and six feet, and then less than six feet, and then less, less than six feet, and so on and so forth then it's permissible to, to do so on Shabbat, even for a long distance, and that's preferable to giving it to a goy. Now, slightly off topic, but within the same category. So now we are talking about something that a Jew does on Shabbat. Israel Israel 
שנאמר, ושמרתם את השבת כקודש, היא קודש ומעשי הקודש. If a Jew, חס ושלום, does a מלאכה for, uh, for whoever, for whomever on Shabbat, purposely, then for that Jew, it's forbidden to derive a benefit from that מלאכה forever. If, let's say, the person does teshuvah afterwards, it's forbidden to derive a benefit from that מלאכה ever again. But other Yehudim can enjoy from that מלאכה right after Shabbat. There is no tekana to wait enough time for there to be time to be done after Shabbat. And how do we know this? Because the Pasuk says, You shall keep the Shabbat, for it, the Shabbat, is sacred. The Chachamim say the Shabbat is sacred, but things that are done on Shabbat do not become sacred, and therefore they learn from here the, the din, the rule we just said. Kesad, some examples. Israel shebishel b'Shabbat b'Mezid, a Jew that cooked on Shabbat purposely, למוסאי שבת יאכל לאחרים, right after Shabbat, everyone else can eat this, אבל לא, לא יאכל עולמית, but for others is forbidden to eat, uh, for himself is forbidden to eat this food ever again. ואם בשל בשגגה, and if this was not done purposely, this was done with שוגג, למוסאי שבת יאכל בן הוא בן אחרים מיד, then מוסאי שבת, whether himself or others can eat this right away, and so to any other example, Hachamim did not think that this was common enough to require, to extend the Tekana, to have to wait enough time after Musa'e Shabbat. They didn't think that there was an incentive to try to do these things on Shabbat, like there is an incentive to try to tell a Goy to do something on Shabbat for us. Fruits that went beyond the boundaries of where we are allowed to go on Shabbat, and then they came back. Uh, so let's say a goy brings, or a Jew doesn't realize that he's walking on the tehum, and he takes fruits and he brings them um, on Shabbat, from outside the home, Beshogeg, without realizing it was Shabbat. So it's permitted to eat those fruits on Shabbat because nothing happened to... So, so let, let me clarify the example. The example is that, let's say I have a couple of apples in my fridge. My friend uh, is Jewish. He forgot it's Shabbat today. He takes these apples. He starts going more than two mil outside the city or 10 mil for the home de oraita, and then he returns back, and then he remembers it's Shabbat. So I'm allowed to eat these apples because nothing changed in this apple, not even the place. They were in the same place as they were before. Bemezid, however, if this was done purposely, Bemezid, if this was a deliberate transgression, then lo yachlu al Musa Shabbat, I have to wait to eat these apples until after Shabbat. Halakha kafhe de la salakha, if I hire someone to babysit my child or to take care of my cow, I'm forbidden, it's prohibited to pay that person specifically for Shabbat. And therefore, another consequence, which is not Ilchot Shabbat, it's Ilchot Mamonot, the person who is babysitting that goy 
or not even a goy actually, um, is not responsible for anything that happens on Shabbat because he's not being paid for Shabbat. So he's not Shomer Sachar really, Shomer Hainam. However, if this was a hiring that was done on a weekly basis or a yearly basis, then I'm allowed to pay the yearly rate or the weekly rate even though Shabbat is within that. And therefore that person will now be responsible also for Shabbat. And however, the Poel, that Jewish babysitter or that Jewish uh, cowboy, cannot demand his payment specifically with respect to Shabbat, but rather he should say, give me my, my salary for the month or my salary for the year, and so on and so forth. So with this, we finish this very important chapter, chapter 6 of Ilchot Shabbat, and tomorrow we'll continue with chapter 7.